Good to see everybody today in the house. Happy Father's Day to all of the dads. All right, all the dads. Come on, dads, raise your hands up. Let us see where you're at. All the dads, yeah? Happy Dad's Day to you. Welcome. If you're new to our church, my name is Greg Johnson. I serve as a lead pastor here, and we're glad to have you with us today. If you're joining us at Mission Church Online, God bless you. It's great to have you with us as well. You can go ahead and be seated. Grab your Bibles. Turn to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in Mark today. You know, we have been doing a series from the book of Acts, uh, but today, being that it's Father's Day, I wanted to bring a word to, uh, to the dads. So we're going to be in, uh, in the book of Mark, and I wanted to talk to you from the subject, the greatest thing a dad can do. The greatest thing a dad can can do. Mark chapter 9 verse 14 says, and when Jesus came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Can you all say those four words with me? Bring him to me. So we come to a moment here in, uh, in the gospel where Jesus sees his disciples in, in an exchange, an argument with the scribes, and uh, Jesus, never one to shy away from a great debate, walks up to the scribes and he says, so what are you all talking about? And suddenly, the, uh, the center of attention shifts from the scribes and the, and, and the disciples to a man in the crowd, a desperate man. And he doesn't care about the debate. He's not interested in all the theology there. He only cares about one thing, his son. His son is being tormented by a demon. He describes how his son falls into convulsions and has these seizures and he, and he foams at, at the mouth. And all he cares about, he doesn't care if he's got to break in and interrupt everything. All he cares about is getting help for his son. And we find out that he brought his son to the disciples. The disciples couldn't heal him. The scribes, they couldn't heal him. But in verse 19, Jesus says, bring him to me. Hallelujah. Bring him to me. I believe that this encapsulates the greatest thing that a dad can do. What is that? Bring him to Jesus. In other words, dads, the greatest things, the greatest thing that we can do is bring our family, bring our kids, bring our daughters, bring our sons to Jesus. Bring him to Jesus. He brought his son to the disciples. The disciples didn't have what his son needed. The scribes didn't have what his son needed. And so what we have to learn from that is that we've got to stop bringing our kids to the disciples of this world for help. And we've got to learn how to bring our kids to Jesus. Now listen, there are plenty of disciples out there in the world, and they're not bad. I mean, there are teachers in the schools who love, 
your kids and who care about your kids. There are coaches on, you know, the athletic teams. They care about your kids. They're family members and they're friends of the family. And they're all good, but they're really just the disciples of this world. In fact, Jesus called them the faithless generation. Because we need to understand that there are some things that only Jesus will be able to do in the lives of our kids. This dad realized the disciples, they could only do so much. So he brings his son to Jesus. And that's when Jesus shows up. Understand something. Learn this, that there's something in our kids that only Jesus can deliver them from. Only Jesus can fix them from. And that's why we've got to bring our kids, our family to Jesus. How many dads can say amen to that? Dads, how do we do that? How do we bring our kids to Jesus today? I think we do that by understanding something called the means of grace. For those of us who have been around for some time, especially in the church and in, in the Pentecostal movement, we've, we've heard this, this phrase before, the, the means of grace. How many have ever heard that before? The means of grace. Basically, what it means is that we have to provide certain opportunities and instruments to our families that the Holy Spirit can use to do His work in our family, in our kids' lives. Dads, we are providers, right? We're providers. That's what we do. But we need to realize that our role is not just to provide shelter and food and, and material things and, and clothing and health care. But we must provide the means of grace. We must provide opportunities and instruments that the Holy Spirit can use to do His work in the lives of our kids. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And... Some dads, and many dads even in here, have done a great job as providers. You've provided a great home. You've provided food and clothing and, and health care and everything that, that, that your family needs materialistically to survive. But understand something. The greatest thing, dad, that you can provide to your family is the means of grace. The means of grace. Let me define it again for you. The means of grace are the instruments and the opportunities the Holy Spirit uses to impart His grace into our lives. God doesn't do things automatically. He, he, he creates certain things, establishes certain means, and then He calls us to be co-laborers together with him. And then as we are faithful in our role as dads and fathers and leaders to provide those instruments and opportunities, then the Holy Spirit comes and he works through them in the lives of, of our family. The means of grace. Can you all say that? The means of grace. Say it again. The means of grace. So what are some of the means of grace, dads, that we can provide. Number one, pray for your kids. Pray for your family. You are the priest of your home. Pray for your family. The most important thing you can do is pray. God does something when we pray that He does not do when we don't pray. Did you get that? Something happens when we pray that does not happen 
when we don't pray. You have not because you ask not. Prayer makes a difference. Pray for your kids. It doesn't matter how young they are or how old they are. It doesn't matter how old you are. This is a responsibility that every father has to pray for his family. And not just pray for them, teach them how to pray. Teach your children how to pray. Model it for them. Show them how to articulate prayer, how to speak words of prayer and not be embarrassed or ashamed about it. Kneel with them when they're young at bedtime. Let them hear you pray. Teach them how to talk to God. Say grace before your meals. Yes, absolutely. But more than that, when there are problems, when there are challenges in the home, show your children the first thing we do is we pray. When they see a sibling, uh, one of their siblings, their brother, their sister is hurting or going through a challenge, or, or their mom or their dad's going through a challenge, let them see the first thing that we do as a family is we call out to God. When they see about things on the news, they hear about crises and things in the media and things happening in our nation, let them see their father saying, you know what, kids, I know it's a little frightening right now, but we can turn to God, who's a very present help in our times of trouble. Let's pray. Amen? So dad's number one. The mean, and when you pray, what you're doing now is you are providing the opportunities and the instruments that the Holy Spirit uses to show your children how important prayer is. Are you getting that? Secondly, not only teach them to pray and pray for them, but bring them to church. And I'm saying that not just because I'm a pastor and I work in the church. I'm saying that because the Word of God tells us to not neglect or forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That this is essential. Bring your kids to church. I know we take them to baseball, we take them to football, dance class, gymnastics, but none of that will do what the church can do in the, in the lives of your kids. It's in the church, it's in the ministries of the church that you're giving the Holy Spirit opportunities to touch your kids and speak to your kids and call your kids. Amen. I mentioned it earlier, we, we, we're so quick to go to the disciples of this world. But the disciples of this world cannot do what Jesus can do for them, right? Now, some say, well, I don't want to force my kids, you know. I want to, I, you know, we, we, we're living in a pluralistic society, and I want to give my kids the opportunity to navigate and discover on their own who they are and what their faith expression will be. I want my kids to make their own choices. Let me ask you a question. I know that's very nice of you, but do you think that the devil is being so polite with your children? You need to realize something that every when your kid every time whenever your kids are awake, I was going to say when they walk out of your house, but when they're awake, the devil is working overtime to shove his lies down your kids' throats. Every opportunity he, and, and you have, we have, as fathers, we have a responsibility to set an agenda for our children to teach them about the lies of the world and what is true and what is not true, right? I mean, what parent, what father would say to the kids, well, I don't want to force them to eat any kind of food. You know, I don't want to force. I want them to choose for themselves what kind of food they want to eat. If they just want to eat Pop-Tarts and Popsicles all day long, you know, I don't want to push my beliefs on them. There's no, no parent that would do that, right? You're going to tell your kid, all right, sit there and eat your peas. 
right? How many parents know what I'm talking about? All right? Eat your string beans, okay? Yes? Because, why? We're parents. That's what we do, right? The real issue for some parents in bringing their kids to church is, is, is not that they don't believe in church or they believe in the ministries of the church. It's that they're afraid of their children. They're afraid. They don't want to tell, force their kids to do something that the kids don't want to do because they're afraid that the kids are going to get mad at them. And the mentality for a lot of parents today is they want to be the, their child's friend. Let me remind you that you're not called to be your child's friend. You're called to be their parent. You're called to be their father. You're not supposed to be their friend. Amen? It's true. Stop trying to be the cool dad or the cool mom. Hello? Listen, all you cool moms and all you cool dads, you're really not. I hate to burst your bubble, but that, that train lo- left the station a long time ago. Stop trying to be the cool dad and just be dad. Okay? Just be dad. All right? You are called to be the authority in your child's life. Be the authority. And understand this. There are going to be times when you're going to have to tell your son or your daughter to do things that they're not going to want to do. And that's your job is to set an agenda for them. To train them up. Proverbs 22.6 To train them up in the way they should go. Did you get that? Proverbs 22.6 Train them up in the way they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. That's our responsibility. Amen? And understand something, moms, dads, if your teenager doesn't hate you from time to time, chances are you're not doing your job. It's true. Chances are... Listen, if... if, if, (laughs) If you've never had to take your teenager's phone away or keep them from seeing certain friends or remove the door from the hinges of their bedroom, chances are you're probably not doing your job, okay? Amen? Bring them to church. Read them the Word, the Word of God. Sit with your children, especially when they're young. Put them on your lap. Read the, 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 the stories of God's Word to them. Let them read the Word of God to you. Introduce You're giving the Holy Spirit opportunities to speak to your children through the Word of God. And never underestimate the power of the Word of God. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces to the asunder the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrows of the bones and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And when you read the Word of God to your kids, His Word does not return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it has God become alive in your family, in your kids' in your kids' lives. When you do that, you're giving God oppor- the Holy Spirit opportunities, right? Have them memorize it. Give them rewards for memorizing it. Quiz them at dinner time. Let them see you reading the Word of God. Take advantages of incentives. Our kids, when that, we raised five kids, four boys and a girl. And uh, our boys especially, they love playing, you know, the, the games, you know. 
How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the Xbox and the uh, PlayStation and all that, right? So we had a rule. You want to play those games? Awesome. You can play them on the weekends, right? You all know on the weekends, but before you play them, after you do your homework, before you play them, you have to read the Word of God. Before you can get on your PlayStation, you've got to read a chapter. And then you've got to come and explain what the chapter means. Yes? Come on, you've got to work for it. Everybody say work for it. You've got to work for it. You want those goodies? You've you got you to work for it, right? Give them in, those in, Show them that the Bible is the centerpiece of your home. Discipline. Everybody say discipline. Discipline them when necessary. Okay? And listen, no counting to three. There's no counting. Okay? <laughs> if I tell you to put it down, you got one chance. All right? Put it down. Why? Because we, there's no, because we require immediate obedience. And, and listen, when you let your child count, you're basically giving you, that child control. That's what you're doing. You're giving that child control of that situation. The child needs to know that you are in control. That you are the boss of the child. Right? You're not the boss of me. Oh, yes, I am the boss of you. Right? Okay? We require immediate... Listen, we had five kids in the house. There was no time for counting. Okay? Because <laughs> I, would, I would just lose, lose count all the time. I'd be counting on this one, and then this one would start up. And I'd be like, wait, were we on two or one? Or where were we? There's none of that. Okay? Immediate obedience is what we would require, right? Because you're teaching your children how to respect authority and obey the law, right? We need to raise our children with a healthy understanding of the law, of authority, so that when they defy the law or defy that authority, they know immediately there are consequences. When you do that, you are preparing your children for the gospel, you're preparing your children for an understanding of the law of God and what happens when we break the law of God. And by the way, we've all broken the law of God, right? And how because we've broken the law of God and we're sinners, that we deserve eternal punishment, but thank God for Jesus Christ. See, when we teach our children about authority and obedience to the law and consequences when defying that, we are prepping them for the gospel. How many are getting what I'm saying? Right? Unfortunately, we are grooming a generation of young people who are oblivious to the law and consequence. Right? Amen? So discipline our children when necessary. How many understand that from time to time, our children need correction? Really? Only three people? <laughs> our children need correction. Right? And uh, there were times when our children would, I, it's hard to believe Pastor Dylan would misbehave. I know it's hard to believe it, but there are times, right? And one of our favorite things to do is you go to your room and you write the fourth chapter of Ephesians. You write it. <laughs> then you come back and then you read it to us and you explain it to us. Expository preaching. Expository. <laughs> we wanted to make sure he got called to the ministry. 
<laughs> Amen. Right? Taking away privileges when privileges need to be taken away of, away, away from them. Amen? Okay? Re- let me just remind you of something. A child's bedroom is not their bedroom. It's your bedroom. You're just being kind enough to let them stay there. Amen? Right? So you, you walk in there, you have, full, you have the right to walk into that room anytime you want. Now, you can knock if you want. If they've earned that right, if they've demonstrated responsibility and they've earned that respect, then you can knock, right? Okay? But there's no locking the door. There's no locking the door. There will not be a doorknob on this door if you lock this door. There will not be a door, right? If I don't like the posters on the wall, they're coming down. If I don't like the music, that I, why? Because I'm the father. I'm the authority. I am the boss of you. And when we do this, when we discipline our children when necessary, we are providing the means of grace. The opportunity and the instruments that are necessary for the Holy Spirit to do His work in the lives of our kids. Amen? Protect them from the world. Protect them from the world. I love the story of Noah where the Bible says he built an ark for the saving of his household. But it wasn't enough to just build an ark with gopher wood. The Bible also says that he had to cover it with pitch. It was like an asphalt. He had to cover it with this pitch because the wood, the gopher wood wasn't enough because there would be spaces and cracks and gaps and there would be leaks. The water of God's judgment would leak into the ark. And so he had to, he had to stop up those holes. So dads, here's part of our responsibility is we need to understand that our homes, no matter how, how hard we try, there are always going to be leaks. And so we've got to be diligent and we've got to plug up the leaks. We've got to protect our family from the leaks of this world coming into our families. Amen? How many understand that, right? The leaks that come in, okay? And what, what are the major leaks? Let me give you just three of them real quick. The social factor, number one, friends. Most people, young people get into trouble because of their friends. The social factor, you've got to monitor and control who your kids are hanging out with. Hello? How many, how many young people love me right now? I know you all hate me, right? because I'm not your friend. I'm your pastor, right? So the social factor, okay? Then there's the media factor, okay? Nickelodeon now has transvestites teaching children on Nickelodeon, okay? The media factor, right? And then there's the social media factor. And you know what the number one thing is that facilitates all three of these things? The social factor, the media factor, and the social media factor? The number one thing the phone. The primary leak that you have into your ark is your kid's phone. Is the phone. That's right. And the number one mistake parents make is to give their kids a phone too soon when they're too young and they're too vulnerable. Understand something that the internet, social media is the devil's playground. And we know that it is ruining people's lives. It's ruining the lives of adult people. Amen. Right? What do you think it's going to do to a 12-year-old? Right? Do you know that most boys, studies show, most boys have their first encounter with pornography at the age of 11 years old? Why? The phone. Do you know that most girls are becoming sexualized by the time they're 12 years old? Do you know why? The phone. Do you know that 60% of youth 
have received an email or instant message from a stranger? 60%. Do you know why? The phone. And did you know that half of that 60% have responded to and have been engaging with strangers who've sent them emails or instant messages? Do you know why? The phone. The phone. Hold off delay from giving your child a phone for as long as you possibly can. As long as you can. Well, how old? How old do you recommend? 47. And then even with certain provisions. But pastor, my child needs the phone. My child needs a phone. You don't understand. Let me ask you a question. How many people here grew up without a phone? A cell phone. How many? Come on, let me see your hands. Okay. All right. Now, of those of you who raised your hands, who grew up without a phone, how many of you survived? Let me just see. The reality is it's not the child that needs the phone, it's the parent who needs to have the child to have a phone. Because the parent wants to be able to monitor and text and talk and, and, and kind of helicopter around, right? Amen? But guess what? Your kid will survive without a phone. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So the dad here in this story shows us what happens when, when a dad provides the means of of grace for his family. He brought his son to Jesus. He was intentional. He put his son, his daughter, his family in an environment where there would be the opportunities and the instruments that the Holy Spirit would use to speak into the lives of his son or his family. Amen. The means of grace. Now let's go back to the text here and see something else about this interaction with Jesus. Verse 20. Then they brought him, the son, to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Understand something. That when you start to employ the means of grace, it does not always mean that there's going to be an, an immediate change. Jesus said, how long has this been happening? Often there's a process involved. The means of grace. It involves a process. And the process involves the father and the mother, the parents, being consistent with the means of grace. Understand something. The first time that you bring your youth to youth group, it's not going to transform them. Or it may not. Amen? In fact, every Friday, when you say to your your kid, get in the car, it's time for youth group. They may be somewhat like this boy here in the story. They may fall to the ground and start wallowing and foaming at the mouth and having convulsions. <laughs> Understand, there's going to be a process. But the important thing is, dad, be consistent. Be consistent. And don't allow your child to dictate what their spiritual journey is going to be like. And understand that as they get older, there are going to be some ups, and there are going to be some downs, and there may be some distractions. Your kids are on a journey. And God is in the process of making the faith their faith. They've got to get, come to a point where it's not your faith that they're following, but it's their own faith that they're, that they're embracing. 
But that doesn't just happen. It happens because dads, because moms are consistent in providing the means of grace on their journey. Verse 22. Often he's thrown him, him both into the fire and the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried. Look at this. The father of the child cried out. Do you hear the despair in his voice for his son? And he said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I think this is one of the greatest statements in the Bible because we've all been there. We've all been there. This point of, 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 of discouragement, of frustration, of even despair, feeling like you haven't done all that you can do, feeling like you fall short, that you're, you're inadequate, and because of your inadequacies and because of your, your inconsistencies that God is not working. But I want to assure you that He is a faithful God. Amen? Even when we are faithless, He is faithful. He's a faithful God and He loves your kids. And He's working in the lives of your kids. And your kids are they're, they're on a journey. And listen, you don't have to be perfect. You understand something. It wasn't because this man's faith was perfect that his son was healed. It's because Jesus was faithful. Do you hear that? It wasn't the man's faith. It was Jesus' faithfulness. Hallelujah. And there are going to be times, listen, when you're going to fall short. You're going to feel inadequate. You're not going to do the right thing. But I don't want you to feel like because you've done that, that you're a failure. And, and, the, and also because your kids, you might look at your kids and see your kids are making some bad choices. I mean, what father doesn't struggle with that? What parent doesn't struggle with that to see their grown children making some bad choices, some wrong choices? And then the enemy wants to come alongside of us and tell us how we have failed and how we're, you know, we're, 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 we're full of flaws and inadequate and inferior. And I want you to know the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. Listen, Adam and Eve were in the garden and they had the best father in the universe. They still made some bad choices, right? It's called free will. God gives everyone free will. And the point is that the Lord gives your kids free will, and then God is working in their lives on their journey to bring them to a place where the faith is their, their own faith. The key, Dad, for us is, is for us to be consistent and to keep bringing them to Jesus, keep praying for Him. No matter how old they are, keep praying for them. Amen? Right? Keep declaring the word over them. Keep speaking the word into their lives. Keep inviting them back to church. Amen? Keep providing the means of grace. Verse 25, Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. You know what this tells me? This tells me as our kids are journeying in their faith to discover who Christ is in their lives, sometimes it may seem to get worse before it gets better. But understand that even when it seems to be getting worse, despite your praying and all that you're doing, God's not done. God is still working. Remember the story of the prodigal son? How God continued to work in the life of that prodigal son? 
Even though he had left the home, even though he had disrespected his father, took his inheritance, wasted it on riotous living, and now he was, he was actually living with the pigs in the pig pen, contemplating eating the pig's slop. How many remember that God was still working on that prodigal son even though his dad couldn't see it? And even though you cannot see what's going on in your kids' lives, understand that as you pray for your kids, God hears your prayer and God is working. God is working. He never stops working. And that's the faith that we have to have. To keep praying for our kids. Hallelujah. And it may seem like your son, your daughter is too far gone. And it's not that they're too far gone. It's not that they're lost. It's that God simply has them in the pig pen. Amen. The only reason that the prodigal hadn't come home yet is because he hadn't been in the pig pen long enough. He needed some more time in the pig pen. How many know what I'm talking about? And understand something. Sometimes God does his best work in the pig pen. Because it was in the pig pen that the, the prodigal son, it says he came to himself. He had a moment of revelation where he realized, I am wasting my life and I need to reconnect with the father. And so he got himself up out of the pig pen and took the journey back to his father, right? The, the son needed to go through that season in his life, just like your son, your daughter may need to go through that season in your life, right? The important thing is that you, you don't want to rescue them too soon. Imagine if that father ran down to the pig pen and he tried to save his son from the pig pen. He would have undermined everything that God was doing in his life. You understand what I'm saying? Be careful not to rescue your son or your daughter too soon. Sometimes they just have to spend some time in the pig pen and realize the consequences of their own choices, and they need to realize the mess they've made of their lives without Jesus, and they need to realize that the only hope for me is to make my way back to Jesus and get reconnected to the Father. And sometimes... That can't happen without the pig pen. And sometimes some parents, they undermine that process, that journey, because they want to rescue their kids from the pig pen. So I say to you, sometimes, you know what? you got to leave your son in rehab. you got to leave him there. And when he calls you up crying and complaining, get me out of here, you got to say, no, you're right where you need to be. Sometimes you got to refuse to bring the bail money. Hello? And just say, no, no, I think you need to spend some time there. And you need to realize the direction your life is going if you don't make some changes. Amen? Right? Sometimes you got to do, you got to leave them in the pig. Don't be so quick to pay their bills. Don't be so quick to co-sign their loans. Sometimes they've got to learn to live a little more lean. Right? Amen? And while they're there in that pig pen... Do what you can do. Pray, fast, pray, and fast again. Amen? And believe that God is working, and God is working all things together for the good. That doesn't mean that, that those things are good. <laughs> doesn't mean that they are good. They're very painful. And they're very difficult. But when God takes bad things, sour things, bitter things, you know, He's like that master Baker. He can take all those bitter elements, 
those raw elements and he can work them all together just right and he can bake something wonderful out of it. The key is you've got to leave it in the oven long enough <laughs> and turn up the heat to 350 for a half hour, right? And let it burn for a while. Amen. Verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. I'm going to close with this point. God wants to do something in our kids' lives so amazing that only He gets glory for it. It's called a testimony. When people would ask that young boy later in life, what happened to him? How did you get healed? He wouldn't say, well, it was Peter, or it was John, or a scribe. He wouldn't even say, it was my dad. He'll say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about what Jesus did for me. God wants to do something in your life, in your kid's life, that only He gets credit for. That in the story of your kid's life, they won't make the football coach the hero. They won't make their junior high teacher the hero. They won't make some professor at college the hero. They won't even make you the hero. They'll make Jesus the hero of their story. Amen? That's what God wants. He wants to make their faith such a part of their character, such a part of their nature, that nothing in this life will be able to shake it from them. Amen? And dads, that's our job. Let's all stand together. That's our job, dad. It's simply to provide the means of grace to remain consistent in the process. To know that it's a journey. It's a process. Right? And it may seem to get worse before it gets better. But God is faithful. God is faithful. You keep praying. Keep loving. You keep providing the means of grace. Amen.